one of the unfortunate things about the location of my uh, music studio, podcasting studio, whatever you want to call it, basically it's just a spare bedroom in my house, is that we have uh, a couple of dogs that are literally 10 feet from where I am, separated only by a window. Hey, there they are. I can hear them. Um, And a little rock wall. So those dogs, once they get barking, it's like they just absolutely destroy any recording plans that I have. But um, I must soldier onward. So let's see. Where did I leave off? I think I left off uh, during the last episode. I was just sort of processing my recent um, cancer diagnosis. Um, chronic lymphocytic leukemia. I had uh, been awaiting an appointment I had with my hematologist that has since uh, come and gone. It was a few days ago. And um, one of the things that's really pressed upon my my mind during this whole thing is um, the power of expectations and how when expectations get go sideways, uh, everything goes sideways. It's been difficult for me to really know what to expect from appointment to appointment. My doctor and his office have been very disorganized and chaotic and error prone, and that has not been helpful. Um, in any event, I had an expectation, and that expectation was that um, on this appointment I had uh, just a few days ago, I was going to find out something um, about uh, the prognosis of my disease and what the next steps for treatment were going to be. Basically, I had um, given another blood sample, and I was under the impression that uh, the results of the of that blood test was going to reveal some important prognostic markers that was really going to sort of show uh, whether or not this disease had a, a, a light, uh, good chance of going through me in an aggressive fashion and um, basically being really uh, bad and reducing my lifespan and increasing my suffering, or I was going to have um, good prognostic markers, which meant I'd have a much better chance of uh, going long periods of time without symptoms and uh, basically just living longer and suffering less. And when I arrived at the appointment, I brought my wife with me this time. Uh, it was an unfortunate replay in a lot of ways of the last appointment I had um, with this particular doctor. It started off, you know, we got there, uh, I believe our appointment was at 9.30 in the morning, and just as we got there, the doctor had to run out for an emergency over at the hospital, which is the next building over. And, you know, I know these things happen, so he just had to take off, and we just waited there for an hour, an hour and a half. I forgot exactly how long it was as the waiting room started to pack with people, and we just didn't know how long the delay was going to... uh, was going to last. And we're listening to the, just the worst country music you could imagine the entire time. And actually, maybe that was kind of a blessing because we were just laughing at how terrible it was. Anyway, he gets back and we get in there. And uh, he seemed very harried and sort of frantic. Who knows what he just experienced over at the hospital. And he, he gets in there 
and uh, he has, you know, my file, and he starts to tell me and my wife everything that he had already told me on the phone the last time I communicated with him, when he gave me the diagnosis, when he was telling me about, you know, the prognostic markers or the next thing that we need to think about, and he was just telling me all the same stuff again, and once again, just as in my last appointment with him, I just got that sense like, this guy does not remember our previous conversation, which I guess is understandable. He's got a lot of patience, but he he's not he doesn't have the results of this this test that I've been waiting for. Uh, he's he doesn't even know that you know that those tests should be in. So I just interrupted him and said, "Look, you told me all this, and you also told me that this appointment um, we were going to get the prognostic markers. You know, the day after I spoke to you on the phone, I came into this office and your staff gave me uh, some orders." There was a, an order to go get some more blood work and an order to get a, a bone marrow biopsy. And uh, they told me, um, they actually didn't give me that bone marrow biopsy order. They said it, we had to wait for some sort of insurance authorization and that they would let me know when that happened and when that procedure would be scheduled. And of course, um, anytime they tell me they're going to let me know something and they're going to call me, I always think they're probably not going to. That's just my history with this doctor's office. So a week, a week and a half had gone by, and I did call them, and they told me the same thing. They could not schedule the bone marrow biopsy. They were still looking into the insurance situation. Um, but um, I didn't really think that, I didn't know how relevant that was at the time. I thought that I still did the blood work. I'm still going to get the prognostic markers. I, mean, I had assumed since they never contacted me about the bone marrow biopsy that it just wasn't needed or in any event, the doctor, um, he, he gets this look on his face when I interrupt him and tell him, Hey, you know, here's what I expected. And he runs out of the off, uh, the little room that my wife and I were in and he's gone for like 15, 20 minutes and we can hear him yelling at his staff. Um, and apparently they had lost, uh, my, lab results and it was just we were just sitting in there we could we could hear him griping about it and eventually he came back in and he apologized and said uh here's what happened um that blood test that you took we can't find the results and you really should have gotten the bone marrow biopsy and we would have had the results by now and there was no reason for them not to, you know, there was no reason for them not to give you the order on that day all those weeks ago. Uh, you never needed the insurance authorization. And so it was just, they botched the orders. I should have been getting all the information and all the results at this appointment. I had told everybody, friends and family, that that was the expectation. I was going to be notifying them what my prognosis and treatment options were. So anyway, none of this is happening, and I'm just, my wife and I are looking at each other like, oh my God, and this is literally the third bad interaction I've had with this doctor or people in his office where they've just made mistakes, um, and they've really messed with my my mind, setting up expectations, and, and then I'm having to go through 
whatever psychological process is relevant to what they're telling me. And then um, when the time comes, nobody knows what they're doing. So it was really frustrating. Um, But all they could do was then schedule the bone marrow biopsy for later in the week. And that actually was yesterday. So as I'm recording this, I have a sore spot uh, on my backside, the left hip bone in the back there. They, they did do the bone marrow biopsy yesterday. Um, it was pretty unpleasant. And, and even that, even the bone marrow biopsy was fraught with confusion. Um, my doctor's nurse had told me that it was going to be a very quick procedure that they were just going to give me a local anesthetic like lidocaine and um, that additional sedation would be optional and it was really just designed for people that were anxious about whatever pain the procedure was going to entail but that I didn't have to do that uh, that additional sedation and when I actually showed up for the appointment um, the first thing that uh, blew my mind is they sent me to register for this procedure and and told me that I needed to give them $1,300 or they wouldn't do it. And uh, I was sort of between a rock and a hard place there. I just just gave them the money. Uh, And that the day before I had just written a check for $1,200 for the previous blood test. And this is after, you know, insurance covered whatever it covered. So, and, um, Apparently, I have good insurance, according to everyone, but and yet I've still had to pay uh, now thousands of dollars, like almost four thousand dollars out of pocket since all this began, and uh, so that's in and of itself is stressful. But anyway, I just had to I had to do that, and that was kind of unexpected. And then when I got into the into the hospital and they were prepping me for the procedure, they told me that they were gonna you know, strap an IV on there and give me fentanyl for sedation. And that's just how they did these bone marrow biopsy procedures. And I, I said, well, you know, I, I I was told I wouldn't have to do that. And they said, well, this is how we do it. So you're going to need a ride home and someone's going to have to monitor you for 24 hours after this, all because of this fentanyl sedation. And of course my wife's out of town. I don't have a ride. I've already driven to the hospital and I told my boss I was going to be at work, you know, in like an hour or two hours. So I hemmed and hawed. Eventually they told me that I didn't have to, uh, I didn't have to take the sedation. Although they did make me almost regret it just by continually telling me that how much it was going to hurt. Um, anyway, it, it did hurt. It was, it was pretty, uh, pretty gross and unpleasant, but they basically jammed a hollow needle into my hip bone and sucked out some aspirate, some liquid bone marrow stuff. Then they went in again with a larger uh, needle to get a bone or a marrow core sample. And that, that really felt pretty nasty. That's the part that, that hurt the most. So they went in there twice after, uh, you know, giving me the lidocaine shot and making a little incision. But all in all, it wasn't terrible. I actually did end up going to work since I didn't take the sedation. But so now I'm just recovering from that procedure. I don't think it'll it'll be too bad. I'm just a little bit sore, but I have to wait now once again for those results 
to find out this main prognostic marker that I am a little bit anxious about. It's some sort of gene deletion. If you have this gene deletion, then that's really bad. That means you're going to be resistant to certain forms of therapy and the, the leukemia is much more aggressive in your case. If I don't have the gene deletion, that'll be a much better sign. So I'm waiting for that. Another thing of interest is the uh, at the end of the appointment, the doc was talking to me and he he told me, he said, did we discuss second opinions when we spoke on the phone? And I had said, well, you mentioned potentially sending me to a place like MD Anderson in Houston where they have, you know, world-renowned experts in um, CLL. And so he, yeah, he, he actually, that's what he did. Basically what he told me is that the, the standard of care that I would be, you know, offered here in my hometown at his office or really any other uh, hematologist here in town, the standard of care is designed for the typical situation with um, this form of leukemia, which is maybe the person's 70 years old or even older, and they're just treating them to keep them going for 5, 10, 15 years and they, so they can live a normal lifespan and, and they die of something else. But he said, in my case, I'm, I'm so young, that's not good enough. And of course, I was nodding my head like, yeah, I, that isn't good enough or it's not ideal given um, that I'm 48 and uh, 5, 10, 15 years is just a, a very shortened life. So what he told me was that the um, the people at MD Anderson in Houston, they have people that just specialize in CLL. They've worked with many people that have had it at a young age like myself. And they could, uh, I would be availed of treatment options there that I would not have here that may uh, really be crucial as far as um, just uh, giving me a better shot to have a, a longer life. So that's what he did. And they, and MD Anderson already called me and I already have an appointment set up for them. That in of, of itself, you know, I'm a little anxious about it because, you know, I don't live in Texas. I do not live in near Houston. So I have to travel there and stay there for several days and take a lot of time off from work. And, and then you have the travel expenses and hotel expenses. And I'm hoping my insurance is going to cover uh, most of it. That's what I was told. But, you know, my experience so far is that I've been just having to pay massive amounts of money out of pocket. And, uh, yeah, so I do have some, some anxiety about just this financially destroying me at this point, but I am heartened knowing that I'm going to at least have my situation looked over by somebody that really knows what he's doing and can, and they'll have all the test results at MD Anderson and they'll make, do whatever other tests they want to do while I'm there and kind of give me a sense of where to go from here. So best case scenario is that I have good prognostic markers and that um, they'll just kind of watch and wait, I guess, until I have some f- symptoms. And once I'm symptomatic, um, again, I don't know 100% if this is how it's going to go down. It's my understanding from reading about it. Once I'm symptomatic, they would 
treat me in whatever way this doctor at MD Anderson uh, wants to treat me. And hopefully that treatment knocks the cancer into remission for long periods. And, and I may have this as a chronic condition where it comes back and I have to get treatment and, you know, several times throughout the rest of my life, but hopefully I'll have a normal lifespan. But of course, I don't know. I could have bad prognostic markers and I guess it's very individual for different people, but I'm feeling a little more hopeful. And again, I don't even know if, if my newfound hopefulness is based on accurate expectations. That's one of these strange things where I maybe I was too pessimistic over the last couple of weeks. I was really thinking that this doctor, when I saw him on Monday, was going to potentially tell me um, Bob, you have bad prognostic markers and, you know, you are going to start having symptoms in months and you might only have a couple years to live. That's, I thought that was on the table. Maybe it's still on the table, but, um, for some reason now it, I feel more hopeful. I don't know if it's just that I'm going from this chaotic office where I've, there's been a lot of fuck ups to a place that's supposedly top notch. And also, I did not get that bad news at the appointment. Now, obviously, it's because the bone marrow biopsy was not done, and and that's the test, the one that I, you know, that I just submitted the sample for yesterday. That's the test that's going to yield whether I have this gene deletion, which is going to be crucial. And I don't even know what the odds are. I, I mean, it's just, it's hard to form accurate expectations. So, obviously, the whole thing is is a little nerve wracking and scary and it's, um, it's stressful on a lot of levels, but for whatever reason, um, I'm feeling much more hopeful in this moment. So we'll see how that goes. I, I also just life has been chaotic. Um, my wife and I had to fly, uh, to her cousin's funeral in another state. And we just got back from that. And then you know, it was just a couple, actually the next day, the day after we returned from that, that trip, I had the appointment with my hematologist and, and in two days we're flying to uh, New York to visit with my relatives for Thanksgiving. So everything feels a bit chaotic now, but, um, it was tough to attend this funeral service. My wife's cousin actually is my age or was my age. And just to, just to be, you know, at the cemetery and ha have everybody, all her family, eulogizing um, my wife's cousin and everybody's crying and just experiencing the passing of someone so young. And uh, I did know, not well, but I did know my wife's cousin. And yeah, just as far as, uh, you know, I didn't want it to be about me. But of course, again, at the time, I was feeling a lot more fearful that I was just days away from potentially hearing that, you know, that I'm going to be a goner, like I'm going to be the next one that everyone's going to be mourning is sort of what was what I was fearing. And uh, yeah, I almost lost it. Just just the weight of that experience and and being in the cemetery and and really feeling how um how the passing of someone so young would affect others. And it was just, 
it was heavy. My wife's family though is amazing. So they're just, uh, just a great, great, uh, bunch of people. And of course everybody knew about my situation and everyone's super supportive. And it was a little weird though, to try to engage in small talk with people knowing that they knew. And when you just try to ignore the fact that, you know, really what's on my mind is I'm, um, I have a doctor appointment in two days, you know, and I may find out something horrible about my prospects and, um, and just pretending that that's not the case and just talking about life as we do when we're not in the grips of a, you know, terminal diagnosis and, and all this fear, it was just strange. Um, but I understand it's like, uh, it is kind of weird to lead with, you know, fears of death when you're just chatting with people who are already mourning someone. So anyway, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a heavy weekend, but, um, and just got back immediately went to this appointment and went through all the ups and downs there. Um, so now I'm just whatever. So I have a sore backside. My wife's actually out of town at a conference. She'll be back, uh, tomorrow. And then we're going to rush off to New York and um, see my family. And that'll be, you know, the first time that they will have all seen me since this diagnosis. So I'm sure that's going to be interesting. But uh, that's where I'm at. You know, I'm just, uh, like I said, I mean, I don't really know that much more than the last time I checked in. Um, but for whatever reason, I'm feeling, I'm still feeling good. And I'm, I'm grateful that you know, I don't have symptoms right now. And other than just because I had this procedure done yesterday, I'm, you know, not able to run around and do as much, but that's really the only thing holding me back. And I should be fine within a couple days there. Um, yeah. And, you know, I'm just continuing to try to get through work. That's been, it's a little awkward. I'm having to miss time and it's crazy. The stuff that's still uh, that happens on a daily basis at this place. You know, yesterday I show up and I found out there was another, you know, threat assessment for suicidal ideation while I was gone at the doctor appointment. And, um, earlier in the week we had, uh, a kid come back after being gone for a while. He left for about a year to another state, came back. And I guess he had been, um, uh, initiated into some sort of gang culture or gotten into it somehow. And he was totally different. You know, I'd known him as a third grader. Here he is now as a fifth grader and he's all oppositional. And, um, and the, his very first day of school, there was a huge fist fight between him and another kid. And then there was, uh, you know, text messages and electronic messages through different apps of, pictures of guns and threats about killing people. I mean, it was just, it's unreal. You just don't think this could happen at an elementary school. But yes, I was meeting with uh, police officers and showing them screenshots of guns with explicit threats. And uh, so it was crazy. And then just the week before that, I had a kid come to me and say that another student uh, showed his privates to her. And then that, that on sort of, uh, unleashed a string of twists and turns and, and some more threats where, you know, the, the boy who was accused also sent electron, sent electronic messages to the girl. And, 
threatening to kill his her, her family and i mean it, it's just it's crazy to me how much the uh this whole thing with technology seems to be connected to all the the strange things that are happening um at the elementary school that i never expected i would deal with even you know the the uh cases of uh gender dysphoria or just kids that are feel like they're in the wrong body that type of thing um in a lot of those cases we'll meet with parents and find out that that the kid was you know has been chatting online with people and with these issues uh hours and hours a day in their room and the and the parent didn't know about it and so it's difficult to know you know it's a chicken and egg thing did the kids seek out this community because they were having uh, these feelings or somehow did they connect with people and then just sort of take on this identity to, to fit in? I mean, sometimes it's just hard to know with kids. I mean, you're talking about eight, nine, ten-year-olds. Um, and then, you know, these electronic messages, these kids are sending messages through apps. That, you know, they... Uh, even video games like Fortnite, they have a social media aspect to it where kids can message each other and Snapchat and all this. And these kids are having all kinds of interactions with each other outside of school. And we just don't know about it until something major comes up. And there's, like I said, photos of guns and threats and a kid will come forward. And then all of a sudden we're taking screenshots of stuff on the phone and, and you just get a little sense of the universe that a lot of these kids are living in. And it'll be like in the one case, this, this sweet little girl that I know from the last couple of years I've been at the school. She's the one that came forward with the, with the screenshots of the, of the guns and the threats. And, and you could even see her contributions to the, the chat exchange where like dropping F bombs and things that seem so out of character, but you, you understand that, these kids all have personas, these online personas um, that again, the adults and I'm sure the parents too, but the, the, the adults in the school, were just not aware um, of a lot of the social dynamics that are impacting these kids. And uh, it's just a whole other layer to consider when you're a, a counselor at an elementary school. So anyway, so all that's, all this is going on and I'm trying not to let my own personal health issues distract me too much from, uh, what I like to do is, which is just focus on these kids and give them a hundred percent of my attention and focus. And, um, I just have to accept that I'm going to continue to miss time and miss days at work because of this, uh, medical situation. And, uh, fortunately I have great coworkers who are um, more than happy to step up for me while I'm gone. And, you know, of course I do have done the same for them and we'll do the same for them. So we, we really do have a great family atmosphere at work. So I'm grateful for that. And, um, looking forward to seeing my family for Thanksgiving. Anyone who's listening out there, I hope you have a great, uh, Thanksgiving break. I hope you have a break. Of course I work for a school. I get the whole week off. So I know that not everybody does, but uh, enjoy your families, your loved ones. I will check in 
um, again as all this unfolds. And of course, I hope to get back to my usual topics and recording music and and I'm not uh, hopefully not going to be locked into just uh, focusing exclusively on this uh, health situation. But I mean, that's what's going on for me now. So what can you do? So anyway, take care and I will check in with uh, everyone soon.